Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Hello, friends. Laura McKinney here, your co-host for the Real Leaders podcast. I am so happy you're here tuning in today. And as always, you are in for a treat. Got some amazing pearls of wisdom coming your way, so make sure to share and review after you take a listen. Let's do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Laura McKinney, here with Hari Balasubramanian, the founding managing partner of Eco Advisors. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me, and um, congratulations on pronouncing my name correctly. That's oh, fantastic. yes, I'm honored. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Eco Advisors was one of our top 300 global impact companies uh, that was awarded um, in the 2023 Impact Awards for Real Leaders. So congratulations. And we're, we're honored to have you on today. We're honored to be on the list and uh, yeah. very happy to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. Well, to start, I, I'm curious, and I'm sure some of our listeners are, but, you know, Eco Advisors, is it just as the name suggests? Uh, tell us kind of what Eco Advisors is. Is it what we might think it is, or does it have a little bit to it that we should know about? Well, it is pretty straightforward. So we advise <laughs> on all things <laughs> all things Eco. Um, the short tagline of what we do is connect capital in all its forms to environmental solutions around the world. That capital can be financial capital, but also um, all sorts of other uh, forms of capital, so reputational capital, human capital. Um, and it's really <laughs> set to drive impact at scale. So we have a biodiversity crisis, we have a climate crisis, and we have an economic crisis. The economy globally is built on the notion that the planet is an externality, and we are looking to shift that to really account for the true value um, of this planet of nature that underpins global GDP. Gotcha. You know, I, I think it could, it might seem complicated, right, to some people to break down how they can realistically, 
you know, put some of these practices into their personal life and their and their business life. Um, you know, how does Equivisors step in to kind of help simplify that process um, and make that path forward a bit clear for the people that you guys work with? Well, I'm glad you use that word complicated, Laura. <clears throat> and um, it, it can seem complicated at the outset. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out is that the the value of nature itself underpinning the global economy is is in its complexity. So complexity is is inherent in terms of uh, why nature is so valuable, and part of that complexity is that we don't fully understand all the value that nature provides. Mm. Uh, you said complicated, and um, while it might seem complicated from the outside because we often confuse complexity with complication, it's actually quite simple what we need to do. And what we need to do is, is three main things in, in the nature equation. So the first is to protect critical nature. And we saw a global resolution to do that in the Global Biodiversity Framework out of the Convention on Biological Diversity in December in Montreal, where 196 nations agreed <clears throat> that we need to protect 30% uh, protect of the planet by 2030. So the first simple step to do is, is protect, so 30% uh, of, of the critical habitat in the world. Uh, by 2030. The second step is is we need to restore. So we need to restore um, critical habitat that we've already lost. So what uh, economic activity has destroyed in the past. And that's a portion outside that 30%, we need to restore areas um, that, that are critical for nature and critical for humanity. And then the remainder, we just need to sustainably manage. So we need to figure out how to work uh, our working lands in a more sustainable way. So things like uh, nature positive activities, um, better management, avoiding, mitigating uh, adverse effects to the environment, but then also thinking about being nature and climate positive in our business activities in, in the rest of the world. And if you add those together, protect, restore, and sustainably manage, that's a 100% solution for the planet. And at the end of the day, it's pretty straightforward, and yeah. we can move uh, forward together with that philosophy. Yeah, I mean, when you put it that way, it definitely breaks it down a bit more. Um, and, you know, eco advisors itself you know it is very interesting and it, it seems like a robust operation but it sounds like you have kind of your wheels figured out um by this point and you know i'm i'm curious of your story like what what was your journey to eco advisors you know what rooted you in this type of work uh was this your life plan from the very beginning or did it did you take a little bit of a roundabout way to get here um so just tell us kind of what led you to to being on this call today yeah, so it's been a very roundabout journey for, for me. So growing up, a lot of my colleagues um, were nature lovers growing up. Uh, that's not the story that I have. Um, I'm a people lover. So I grew up wanting to be a doctor to help people uh, individual by individual, patient by patient. I soon learned that that wasn't the path for me. And I happened to fall, literally, I fell backwards into marine conservation uh, off the back of a boat in southern Portugal uh, looking at, <laughs> at, at seahorses. So I rolled into the water oh looking at seahorses. And, and the reason I went to and did that job um, assisting a PhD student was not because I was fascinated by seahorses or the environment or ecology. It was because I didn't want to get a real job and I was terrified of becoming an adult. Hmm. But what I soon realized um, when I was 20 years old in Southern Portugal is that seahorses are incredible creatures. So if you don't know much about seahorses, they are phenomenal. They swim upright. They're goofy looking skeletal creatures. They're also monogamous, so they mate with the same partner for life. Um, and they're the only species or the only family of animals that where the, the male carries uh, fertilized eggs and gives live birth to baby seahorses. And the work that I was doing was on seahorse behavior, uh, uh, mating behavior. <clears throat> so I got to watch this 
beautiful interaction between male and female seahorses, all the way from courtship through to uh, the live birth of baby seahorses. And I would spend eight hours a day underwater looking at these magical creatures, and I thought the environment was pretty spectacular. But the eight hours a day I was awake and not underwater, I was with coastal communities in southern Portugal. And what I came to realize pretty quickly is that the, the seahorses were not the first most important part of the story or, or the second or even the fifth, but everything around the marine environment was critical for those communities to, to uh, exist and thrive. <clears throat> so it related to their education, it related to their food security, it related to their livelihoods, it related to their social cohesion. And what I came to realize is that conservation uh, by and large isn't about the planet and, the, and nature and the species, it's about our connection as humans in, and what we need from, from nature. And I realized that if, if we could work for the environment, then um, we could work for people. Uh, and not patient by patient like a doctor, but community by community and, and human societies. So my journey from there was to become more embedded into nature conservation. And I worked in, in the nonprofit sphere for a number of years. I worked for one of the largest environmental NGOs, Conservation International, from 2005 to 2012. And it was fantastic learning. I, I had coverage globally, spent time in 55 countries around the world in uh, hundreds of projects with communities, wow. indigenous people, uh, governments, <clears throat> and uh, the private sector. But what, what became increasingly apparent, apparent is that philanthropy and public policy wasn't going to save the world because we spend a lot of our global GDP actively destroying the planet. Um, we can't hope to address that or redress that by just using philanthropic dollars and, and kind of the giveaway money. So I started this business in 2012, recognizing the role of business investors and the global economy to drive change for environment, nature, and climate. And how can we um, build <clears throat> incentives and, and the proper structures to allow the private sector to embrace the notion that nature and climate and sustainability is important, but not only important, but a, but a fund fundamental basis of their value creation and future progress for business of the future. Mm -hmm. And with all of that, <clears throat> our business now says, you know, all money can be used better. Um, some of us just need guidance in terms of how to orient ourselves, our operations and our businesses and investments to do so. And eco-advisors can be your guide to uh, to drive that forward. And we've done so <clears throat> with them um, across sectors and at scale. So we've helped influence over four and a half billion dollars since our founding 10 years ago. And we continue to grow every year. Wow. Fascinating. That is quite a journey. <laughs> it sounds like it wasn't wasn't a one-stop shop. You really, I mean, the fact that you've traveled to so many places, I'm sure, you know, aids in the fact that you've just been exposed to so much and you know what kind of, you've tapped into what maybe the world might need at a broader scale, um, which I think is a very valuable thing to carry, you know, and what I thought was interesting is you talked about the connection, you know, that people have with nature, you know, like once people establish that, um, like root in that they're able to then like figure out what they can do to help it and vice versa like how we can help each other like as one big ecosystem um, when your you know clients come to you and uh, for advisory what what are the issues they're coming to you with like what when, when they're asking you like hey like we need help to to make our, our business stronger um, what what are they asking you to do exactly in the sense of having that mindful um, eye on on the world and the environment so it's a great question and it really depends on the client itself and the sector yeah. that we're working <clears throat> so when i talked about capital we separate our business into four main buckets uh, mm -hmm. and business lines 
the first being the philanthropic sector where we help construct large-scale programs for environmental protection. And that line of our business is really related to the 30, 30 by 30 target. So protect 30% of the planet by 2030. And we help structure those kinds of arrangements. And that's um, pure protection, largely public policy and, and philanthropy drives that component. The next uh, component of our business is corporate operations. <clears throat> so when corporates come to us for advisory services, um, we typically engage in broad scale sustainability strategy. And the reason they're coming to us isn't necessarily to protect 30% of the planet by 2030. <clears throat> they're coming to us because there's external pressures on their business to uh, account for, disclose, measure, manage, and reduce uh, their impact on nature and climate. And they're getting confounded by what that means and how to do it. So they come to us for advice on how to uh, understand what the, what the regulatory frameworks are today, what the voluntary and regulated disclosures look like today, where they're headed to tomorrow, and how to conform their businesses to be agile enough and able to respond to investor interests and and um, and public interests around these sustainability issues. Now that <clears throat> evolves into an execution strategy uh, in terms of what they can do through their operating lines, which may involve some of that protection, but largely involves a sustainable management. So that seventy percent uh, portion that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other two segments that we work with are the public sector, where we help drive. Uh, public policy to be more nature positive. So removing or reversing perverse subsidies, because the world right now has roughly $7 trillion in perverse subsidies held up by government, actively working against nature and climate. And we need to remove those perverse incentives uh, in order to drive the future economy. And the last segment that we work with is <clears throat> the, the investment sector. So we're really moving towards helping people in portfolio construction and allocations to better more sustainable and more environmentally positive investment decisions across asset classes. Mm. That's fascinating. And, you know, like, that's like what they're coming to you for. And, you know, I'm, why do you think they're coming to you? Uh, do you think it's because they're seeing their, their peers in, in the industries that in their respective industries going that direction? Do you think they're becoming more aware? Why do you think uh, now is the time that these people are really coming to you for help? It's a really great question. So I think that there's several reasons. <laughs> One is that um, there's more public pressure. So mm -hmm. with Greta Thunberg and, and uh, the youth movements around climate in particular, but nature uh, is quickly following in its heels. There's a public pressure around what are companies and what are um, our clients doing around nature, climate uh, and sustainability. I think more importantly and more materially to the bottom line though, there's increased investment pressure so institutional investors in particular are starting to look at sustainability metrics uh, and disclosures as a, as a fiduciary responsibility. And that's a result of um, what Mark Carney and Michael Bloomberg put together in the task force for nature or for climate related financial disclosure back in 2018, basically saying that climate awareness, disclosure and, and management isn't sort of a nice to have in your business, but it's uh, directly related to your, um, your future financial performance. And that's being extended now within the TNFD, which is the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, tying the material financial elements of nature and climate uh, to investor decisions. And that's really driving a lot of the, the public company corporate interest around sustainability. A third factor, I think, which is really important is, you know, young people today are looking for places to work that are consistent with their values and aligned with their, their, their personal values. And I think companies are recognizing that um, 
uh, talent acquisition, which is really competitive at this point, and talent retention are critical. Um, it's critical to have a values aligned corporate operational structure in order to, to bring the right talent to bear. And then finally, I think <clears throat> that this has been a latent issue for a long time. Leaders that I talk with across industries have said, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to do things in a negative, in an environmentally negative way. Mm -hmm. That's just how we were trained. We didn't really understand that it was possible to do it differently. And we have this whole notion in our society that we can either make a lot of money at the cost to other things, or we can do social and environmental good at a cost to making money. What people are starting to wake up to is the fact that we can do both at the same time in many cases. And that's where EcoAdvisors comes in to help people understand where those trade-offs don't need to happen, where we can maximize both profit, uh, commercial value, and social and environmental good. And where, when we need to make those decisions, how we can constructively uh, make those decisions um, in a transparent way. Yeah, very good. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people might like I was saying earlier, can have that mindset of being, you know, overwhelmed by the concept of making this all happen and, and doing good for the world because there's just so much to do, right? And there's just so many needs to fill. Um, you know, what are you most optimistic about in the future of sustainability and this whole world? You know, what it, I, I know there could be a lot of talk of doom and gloom. And yes, there's still a lot of work that we need to do as a collective world to to make it a stronger place um but what are you most optimistic and hopeful about um you know going forward in, in the world well i'll say a few things here laura so i'm optimistic at the at the momentum that we have behind climate biodiversity sustainability writ large i started my career about 20 years ago where we were banging our heads against the wall trying to bring people into the tent just the notion that <clears throat> climate change was happening biodiversity loss was as aggressive and as important um, as we know now. Mm -hmm. But also the, the ramifications that has not only on you know, the tree huggers of the world that really value the intrinsic nature of, of, of biodiversity and, and um, the planet, but also how it, ties to, how it ties materially to economic productivity and financial performance. And the evolution of, of the work that's happened in the last five years in particular around the, the real value of nature, you know, the underwriting um, uh, of the global economy, those kinds of figures are really tapping into not just the heart for intrinsic value, <clears throat> but the head and logic around um, around commercial value. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's going to drive more, more and more progress towards trying to revert some of these things. The other thing I'll say that gives me optimism is that 20 years ago when we started, when we were talking about clean tech 1.0, it was still very new, novel, and um, it was you know, at the cutting edge of innovation, and it was highly speculative in terms of what was possible to uh, to drive the transition. <clears throat> Twenty years on, um, we have several solutions that are that are working, uh, and they're working quite well. So when we talk about the doom and gloom, what we don't talk about is that there are several solutions that exist today for the energy transition, for nature positive activities, for um, for a variety of these sustainable uh, transition items that we need. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is many of them are just subscale. <clears throat> so we have a different problem than we did 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we needed to innovate to understand how to develop the new economy. Mm -hmm. Today, we need to scale the solutions that exist in order to um, lessen the gap in terms of um, how, how to get to climate and nature positive by 2050. Um, so what holds a lot of hope for me is that <clears throat> those technologies, many of them exist today, and the gap that we're talking about is actually much less than... than, than uh, than we might think uh, once we scale those technologies. And there's still innovation that's necessary. There's still progress that needs to be made. 
but it's not as wide of a gap as we previously thought. And the last thing I'll say is that while it seems like a, a huge problem, <clears throat> it's still only a portion of global GDP. So we can redress a lot of these things. If you look at the numbers, <clears throat> um, we have a, over $100 trillion flowing through um, in, in global GDP. But the, the solution to climate and, and nature, if you look at um, information that's come out of uh, WEF and, and Vivid Economics and McKinsey through the, the Convention on Biological Diversity and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, mm -hmm. the annual financial gap is in the single digit trillions of dollars out of a global economy that's over a hundred trillion. So we're talking about a shift of single digit percentages of the global economy to redress and reverse um, the, the sustainability challenge that we have. Interesting. And you know, what would you say to a person, you know, who is, you know, they're not a company, they're not a government entity, they're not a nonprofit, they're one person that's interested in investing their resources in, in doing good for the planet. You know, what what would you say, you know, as a professional advisor in this space, you know, to one person who's like, I'm, I'm not enough to make an impact, just one person. I, I, I don't have the resources of, of a big company or corporation or, you know, how can one person um, start to kind of go and pave their way in this space? I think the first thing to, to recognize is that um, movements are, are composed of individuals right so if we all say that we're not we're not we're only one person we can't make a difference then no change is ever going to happen the collective uh, power uh, of each of us making our individual contributions is massive mm -hmm. so never the first thing i would say is never think that your actions are too small to make a difference and to join a movement um because at the end of the day for us to address this problem even though it's single digit uh, percentages of the global economy it still requires many more of us, if not all of us, to get on board um, to, to promote the sustainability transition. Then I would say just be mindful and thoughtful. So think about sort of where your values lie and what the material issues are in, in your own lifestyle. So whether it's the food you eat, whether it's the energy you use, whether it's the car you drive, whether it's um, you know how you organize your life and, and, um, and where you can make shifts and differences that aren't going to cost you too much, right? Because you have to do everything in, in the balance of, um, of what you can afford and what you can uh, reasonably um, accommodate. But there's always shifts we can make. I mean, a simple one for all of us, we all eat hopefully three times a day, if not, mm -hmm. if not more. Um, and the food we eat and the choices we make uh, are very material in terms of climate impacts and nature impacts. Um, so a simple thing we can do is be more thoughtful and mindful about the food that we eat. Yeah, I mean, that, that's some good stuff. And I mean, I was asking, honestly, for myself too. you know, hearing you talk, I'm like, how, how can I, how can I pitch it? <laughs> how can I help? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way. And it's pretty clear you're quite knowledgeable on this topic and have several years of experience in it and have a lot of heart behind it. You know, what is your, what is the best part in your eyes about what you do? Like, what is your favorite part of your job? I think it comes back, you, you made a comment earlier about um, being knowledgeable and having the experience and, and learning mm -hmm. from people around the world. I think the, the best part of my job is, is learning from people that are at the front lines of sustainability. Mm -hmm. So I was super fortunate early in my career to you know, work and travel in 55, over 55 countries around the world. It's incredible. Uh, in communities in the middle of the Amazon, in, in the middle of the Congo Basin, um, with fishers in coastal Mexico. And the, the absolute joy of my work is uh, is learning as much as possible from those people on the front lines. 
in community that understand the context because at the end of the day growing up i grew up in in canada i live in halifax nova scotia i've lived um in the us and other places but when we're sitting day to day in our you know warm houses on a cold day like it is today um mm-hmm. it's really hard <clears throat> it's really hard for us to understand the context of of um you know the people at the front lines of the sustainability challenges and i think that the absolute joy of my work is is the fact that i get to learn from them each and every day and that they can help me understand what is needed for solutions and the sustainability transition mm. that's a that's a true inspiration like you've really found you know something that makes you tick and um it's it's really it's cool to to witness from a interviewer standpoint um and you know my final question and we asked this to to all of our awesome guests is you know what is your definition of a real leader it's a great question i know you've had many many different answers here and i will continue from the the vein that i expressed before in terms of the joy i get from my from my job i think the definition of a of a real leader is someone who drives ambitious action at scale but recognizes and is humble enough to know uh, their blind spots <clears throat> and the blind spots here in the sustainability challenge or the sustainability transition are really the context and situations of those myriad of communities on the ground and i think um what makes a real leader is to be able to to listen and learn from and when i say listen i mean truly listen and collaborate with uh communities that are facing these challenges uh, head on <clears throat> and build solutions together not impose solutions on on places and people that um uh, that we think is the right path and to be a leader in the future economy we're going to have to work collectively work in in partnership and collaboration and support each other going forward well thank you hari for for sharing that i know our listeners are going to eat that up and and love every sentence of it and you know before we go where can people find you um what is your website socials any of that stuff that you'd like to share So anything Eco Advisors is us um www.ecoadvisors.org is is the advisory website. We're launching an investment management uh, business at the moment as well called Eco Investors Capital. So stay tuned for more on that where we're uh, transitioning from just being an advisor to other people's capital in uh and also being a being a capital allocator ourselves and an investment manager. Um on the socials we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, um Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the Real Leaders podcast today and to everybody listening. Thank you for tuning in and remember to keep it real. Hey, Real Leaders. Thank you again for taking your valuable time to listen today. If you just can't get enough, make sure to check out our magazine. And if you go online to realleaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you'll be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to real-leaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. That's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for tuning in and as always, keep it real.